You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with a donor-conceived individual named Alex who reached out to me um, a couple I don't even know. Where, do you remember when, Alex? <laughs> uh, I think it was a, a little over a month ago now, when Allie's episode. Yeah, was it? Okay. Because I'm her sibling. Oh, you're Allie's sibling. Okay, you're Allie yeah. P. P. Yes, yeah. Allie P. That's so cool. So when Allie P came out in season one, before the coronavirus, you know, pandemic, yeah. um, and like, you know, you were mentioning before, you're right. We're kind of all, we've shifted gears so much mentally and everything's changed so much that it's hard to even go back to figure out where we left off and what were we even, you know, talking about? What were we concerned about? And I talked in the, with the other alley um, on, in a podcast recently that you go from this feeling of like having these higher level thoughts and desires and needs. And then this pandemic happens and all of a sudden our needs just drop to the basics, survival, safety, functioning. So it is hard to sort of get back in that mindset, (laughs) but like you said, it's a good distraction too. um, To try to mm -hmm. have something else to think about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we will, we will get back to normal at some point we will. And yeah, it's just, it's a weird time for sure. But I'm so glad you reached out. It's great to hear from different donor-conceived individuals and their experiences. I'll let you tell me a little bit about yourself and, and your story. You can kind of start from how long have you known you were donor-conceived? Um, I've known for two years in January, so a little over two years now. Okay. Um, I'm 25, and <laughs> I live in Hawaii. My family lives in the East Coast. So um, I had gotten my parents a DNA test for Christmas. And then ended up getting one for myself too, because 23andMe was having a sale. I really thought that I had like Asian ancestry just based on my eyes. And I always asked them about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And they got the results back first and nothing with French, German, British, Irish. I got mine back when I was already back in Hawaii. I had been home for Christmas Mm -hmm. and um, our ancestry lined up. But then when I clicked on that um, DNA relatives, that's when I saw that I had a bunch of half siblings that I shared like 18 to 30% of my DNA with. Uh-huh. I was like blown away. And at first I was like laughing because I thought it, I didn't think it was real. Mm-hmm. And then um, reached out to one of the siblings and they told me that we uh, were related on the paternal side through the same sperm donor. And like, yeah, yeah. mine was blown. <laughs> mine was blown. Now, did it show the same French, Irish, you know, the same ethnicity? Was there a different ethnicity that popped up for you as well? Um, Nope. Same thing. Um, So I hadn't checked the DNA relatives for like probably a couple weeks after I got the results because um, my ancestry kind of matched up with theirs and I didn't have anything wild, French, German, British, Irish. Um, I did find out that I had like a um, blood clotting disorder just like heterozygous for it. So I had to switch okay. some pills. So that was like one of the big things I saw in the beginning that I found out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until like a couple weeks later, I was I'm um, a coral researcher. I'm in grad school. I was in my lab and one of my lab mates asked me if I 
had looked at my DNA relatives because she had found a long lost cousin. And mm. um, I was like, oh, interesting. Let me try it. And just had no idea what mm, I would find. Wow. Yeah. So no answers on, well, maybe you did get an answer on your eyes then. That your uh, eyes looked Yeah, different. so, mm-hmm. yeah, they look like all my siblings and the, the donor. They do. And does he have yeah. Asian... Any Asian? Nope. Um, he just has like, we have just have these like partially hooded eyes. And mm-hmm. I guess that's also um, like, I don't know, Scandinavian or something. I don't know. But we're French, German, British, Irish. But um, yeah, we have them like him. A lot of my siblings have them too. <laughs> I look wow. like um, an Asian baby with blonde hair. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so interesting and unique. I love it. When when I was questioning it, it wasn't like I, I really thought I wasn't related to my parents. I was just like, I'm the only one with these eyes. Where did I get them? Sure. You're curious. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. That's so many people are just curious about their physical traits, wondering where yeah, they came from. I wasn't from. suspicious, but yeah, you just want to know. Well, what happened when you found out and did you talk to your parents about it? Yeah. So I um, am really close with my mom. I talk to her every day, even though I live 5,000 miles away. Um, so when I first found out, um, it was too late for me to call home. Um, and I first like tried to confirm with them by signing into their 23andMe account, mm-hmm. um, and seeing if our DNA matched, I thought to be some type of issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I first found out, I had also called them and asked them, I was like, it says I have a bunch of siblings. Um, you know what this is about? And my dad just was like, oh, weird. I don't know. And then my mom was like, huh, funny. I don't, I don't know what it is. Hmm. they didn't take that opportunity to tell me so I was like okay Mm -hmm. I'm gonna reach out to a sibling so then I reached out to a sibling and and they told me that how we were connected Mm -hmm. um so then the next day um my mom finally called me while my dad was out and told me that um you know my dad is actually almost 82 right now and my mom is um like 63 they have a pretty Mm -hmm. big age difference my mom also had me pretty late in life so I had known that I was a miracle baby. They always said that, mm. but I didn't quite know what that meant. Um, I knew that they needed some fertility treatments, but I didn't know they used the donor. Mm-hmm. Um, so she told me, you know, the reason that they went with the donor was because my dad I had been in Vietnam mm-hmm. and he was exposed to Agent Orange. Okay. Uh, so they weren't sure what the birth defects associated would be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they went this safe route with the donor. And, yeah. you know, when my dad married my mom, she had said she wanted to have another kid. He like laid it out there that he, you know, didn't know what the effects would be. So um, he agreed knowing that this is the route that they would take from the beginning. Okay. So it wasn't that he had low sperm or no sperm or anything like that. It, it wasn't a sperm issue. It was this, this, this exposure to this right. possibly dangerous chemical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He does have two daughters. Um, from a previous marriage um, before he went to war. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they had did, never tested him. He had had a vasectomy too because he was also older. Okay. And did you? Did they ever tell you why they w- decided not to tell you about it? Um, I think that basically they were told not to tell anyone. And mm-hmm. also, um, I think it was kind of an embarrassing thing for them. They're slowly mm-hmm. now telling more people Mm-hmm. But um, my mom um, had been married before my father as well. And she's really the first, was the first in my family to have gotten a divorce. Mm-hmm. And I think she felt um, like, I don't know, 
like that was a faux pas. Mm-hmm. And so then to like also go an alternative route to have a kid later on, um, I don't think was something she just wanted people to know. Okay. But you think she's more comfortable with it now or? Yes. Um, for the first, uh, cause I saw, I saw my parents at Christmas. Um, so it was about a year after I found out the first time I saw my dad in person. Mm-hmm. And, um, at that point, me and my mom went to her friend's like wine shop and that friend had found out from a DNA test that her dad wasn't her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom had cheated mm. and like she had suspected all her life. So she had okay. um, told my mom that story. My mom basically had brought me to her friends so that we could share our stories together. Oh. And um, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to tell my story even as this woman was telling me hers because I didn't think my mom wanted people to know. But mm-hmm. then my mom was like, you should tell her. So I think like slowly as she started hearing other people's stories, because mm-hmm. this is not unique. There's so many secrets coming out now in these mm-hmm. DNA tests. I think um, as she started hearing more of these stories, she realized that, um, you know, it was an interesting story to share and not like a, a bad story that she should be keeping secret. So mm-hmm. she's been a little more open with some of the family members. Yeah, yeah. About it. That helps. It helps to know that other people have gone through it too and that you're not alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What was That's the hardest? What listening to these podcasts has helped me. Uh, yeah, good. Good. That's the point is to, you know, help open the doors and lift the secrets and the shame and that are associated with it. What do you, what do you, what would you say was the hardest part about, you know, finding out a couple of years ago? Um, the hardest part for me was that I didn't find out directly from my parents. Uh, they had gotten their DNA test in November, like the results back, and I saw them in December. I thought that they should have taken that opportunity to tell me. Mm-hmm. I understand that there is really no good time to bring this up if you have kept it a secret, like in your child's whole you know, mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, at what age do you decide that it's time? I don't know. But um, I thought when they knew that I was going to be getting DNA test results back, they should have told me. Um, I'm just so close with my mom. So it was just hard for me um, to go through it kind of uh, without her in the beginning. I felt Mm -hmm. like I couldn't call her and talk to her about all the thoughts that were going through my head Mm -hmm. because it was like something kind of like she had done to me by keeping the secret. Mm -hmm. so luckily I had like a lot of friends to talk to about it, but I just felt like I um, was going through this thing that usually I'd be talking to my mom about every day if I was going mm-hmm. through any other thing, but I yeah. felt like I couldn't. So. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so hard and is that when you can't talk to them because they're part of this secret yeah. and it's, it makes it doubly, hard, if not more, hard on you as their child who is younger trying to figure all this out needs to have that support and guidance. You know, if parents can feel comfortable to talk about it when their child needs to talk about it, I tell them that it will strengthen their bond with their child that, you know, if they can have that accepting unconditional place for their child to come to, then they can get through that together and be even stronger because you, you bond with people that are there for you that you can share anything with that you can get through the hard stuff with, that's where you form those tight bonds. And so even so parents are terrified about telling their children, but I tell them that if you are comfortable and work through the grief and your own shame and the issues that are coming up for you, 
then talking with your child about it can be actually really beautiful, a very beautiful bonding experience. But there's just so much fear on the front end that you have to get out of the way first. And a lot of right. parents just don't have that skill set. They don't know. It's hard to sort through. Um, that's why I wrote the book, Three Makes Baby, so parents can, the first whole half of it is to get through all that emotional confusion and shame and all those feelings that come up. So you sort through all that first. So then you're ready to go when your child needs you Right as the goal. Yeah, I think it's, it seems like people are more open now. I, I, I think so. It's kind of like my age, people are starting to find out with these DNA tests and um, I mean, I've listened to your podcast and you've talked about this, that people are really told not to tell. So I think it's great. That there's people like you encouraging openness. The yeah. Process. And it's not too late for you and your parents to have the conversations too. Even if, you know, openness wasn't encouraged back then and you're having to have these conversations for the first time, it's not too late. It's never too late. Right. Uh, and there's never too late for, to get closer with your family. You know, sometimes maybe it is just having them read outside sources, listen to other people, or maybe even go, you know, to talk to somebody about it. I know it's, it's really hard and some parents aren't able to do it. And that's where some of the pain and difficulty comes up for the donor conceived adults is that when that kind of break happens in the relationship and the parent just can't go there, you know, just cannot process this or admit it or, you know, continues with the, the facade and the secret. And that's when it can really cause problems. But you sounds like you're not in that place of extreme. You're more in the place of you know, kind of slowly coming to terms and she's willing to be open about it and even kind of encouraging it in some situations. So yeah, we've talked more frequently about it um, in the past year. Because um, for a little bit, I, I just felt like I couldn't share with her mm -hmm. all that I had done. Like I, I know who the, who the donor is. I hadn't shared that with her for a while. I hadn't shared that I had talked to siblings because I didn't know if she wanted to know. Yeah. Um, but now we're, we're more open about it. Um, it took me a while to have a conversation with my dad. Uh, my mom discouraged me from talking to him about it. When she at first called me and told me, like came clean about it all. She was like, well, your dad is away tonight on Wednesday night. He goes out. So call me on any Wednesday night. You want to talk about this? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I mean, I want to talk to him about it too, though. And she said that she thought it would upset him and she didn't want me to talk to him about it. Meanwhile, I had had my dad share his DNA with me on 23andMe, and it came up that we didn't match, right? Mm -hmm. So he had to be wondering if I put it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty smart, so I don't think he would really think that I could see that we didn't share DNA on 23andMe and not put together what happened. Yeah. So he had to be wondering. He had so to, then yeah. a few weeks later, um, yeah. So a few weeks later, she did say to me um, that my dad had asked her if I mentioned it again, if I had figured it out. And she told him no. And I was like, you know, I don't want to lie uh, to him about it. I don't, you know, don't really like lying about anything. I'm going to talk to him. Mm -hmm. So I called my dad um, while my mom was at work. So my dad was home. And um, I don't talk to my dad very often on the phone. <laughs> it's really like very short conversations where he's like, mm -hmm. well, gotta let the dog out. And it's like, you can do that while talking on the phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, bye. 
Um, so we had like a very short conversation in the beginning and he tried to get off the phone. I was like, no, actually I had something I wanted to talk to you about. I just wanted to let you know that I, I know. Um, <laughs> and like, it doesn't change anything for me. And um, basically he was like, I really hope you don't kick me out of your life. I so love being your dad. And it was just so sad that he could really be having these thoughts that I, I would kick him out of my life. And that's yeah. what I said, you know, you're my dad. This doesn't change anything for me. And that's why mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you about it. I wanted you to know that it doesn't change anything for me. Yeah. And yeah. We haven't talked much about it since we had that like five minute conversation. He, you know, went on that he had, why they chose that route and that, you know, mm -hmm. he wanted to have a daughter and he loved raising me. So yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. It felt like a conversation. Yeah. That I like needed to have with him. And I'm glad that I did and hadn't listened to my mom about keeping it a secret. Yeah. Why do you think she was encouraging it to keep it a secret? Was she trying to protect him or have I, I control so. or what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She said that she never planned on telling me unless like after my dad died. So she was trying to protect him. Yeah. So I think she thought it would be like embarrassing for him. I guess also, I wouldn't say my dad and I are very close. Um, we're just different, um, but also similar. So it was confusing to me when I found out because I think we're both hard headed. So I was like, well, I do have some of his personality traits, which is why sometimes I argue with him. Mm -hmm. But he's so much older than me. So we just see the world differently. Mm -hmm. um, but my dad loves me so much. I've always known that. Um, yeah. Like he, we don't agree politically, but mm -hmm. he will still listen to me because, um, you know, um, he supports um, my career choices as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so we're just very different. But I think she thought that it would, um, I think she was scared it would change things for me and him since we weren't close, but mm -hmm. um, that like I would be like, oh, I think she really thought that I'd be like, oh, now he's not genetically related to me. I don't have to. Like he's not my dad kind of thing. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which mm -hmm. was not the case. I don't know. I think she was nervous that something like that would happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But yeah. it was just crazy because for me, it just, I, I think it, um, I listened to half of me podcast too. And I think mm -hmm. she was saying this the one time that it just like kind of made her respect her dad more. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I thought. It's just like, it really made me appreciate how much my dad loved me and wanted to have me and really both of my parents really wanted me. Yeah. Yeah. It's good for you to be compassionate and understanding. And, you know, if we think back, we can't even understand what, what they were dealing with back, you know, how 25 years ago or so yeah. the, the social climate, what was acceptable to talk about, what wasn't so much has changed in such a short time it's hard for us to understand how much harder it was for them to open up and to be able to share this type of information. It's still hard. A lot of guys still are not talking about this and we're having some just guys now that are kind of leading the way in social media and starting to speak up about male infertility and the reasons. And as your dad was, a, you know, he served our country. He went and served in a war and this was a consequence of it. And he still had to feel shame about it. I mean, how unfair is that to him that society asked him to go to war, a country asked him to go to war, and then right. the same, you know, society imposes shame because he makes a choice that's best for for you and, and to not right. hopefully have a you know a child with deformities and to not suffer through that trauma. Um, and then to carry that shame. It just it doesn't seem fair at all. 
Yeah. And that's why, you know, I'm glad you came on to speak to that. See, you know, there's so many reasons that people make this choice to use a donor. It's not just one reason. And, you know, whatever you think it is in your mind is probably very different, you know, than what the reality is of it. So that's why I like having different people here to share their stories and the reasons why. Yeah. So I hope that he can feel, I mean, he's, he's, you said he in his eighties. Is he, he's still with us, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. He's 82. Yeah. yeah. I have a brother who's 15 years older than me. Um, but my mom's previous marriage, um, and he didn't know, like he knew they were going to fertility treatments, but he didn't know, um, what they were doing. So when I told him, he was also shocked, but, um, my dad really raised him as well. Um, so it's just another kid that he raised that he didn't have that, you know, genetic tie to. So I didn't realize I had that in common with my brother. I always knew he was my half brother, but I didn't know like that we shared that my dad had taken a in that way. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, my brother actually ended up naming one of his kids, his middle name after my dad, not his own dad. None of the kids are named after, you know, his own dad. It was our dad. So Um, It just really shows that it's not the DNA that matters. It's Mm -hmm. like the person who was there for you growing up. Um, And my dad was an influential one on his life. My dad was in the army. My brother joined the army. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when me and my brother talked about it, he was like, you know, it just really shows how much love dad had to give. Mm. That he wanted to have another kid. He had more love to give. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. You know, that's so true. The attachment that you form to your caregiver, whether they're biologically, genetically related to you or not, does not matter. It's the attachment that forms over those 18 years when you're growing and you're completely helpless and you have to have them for survival and they love you and care for you and keep you safe and warm and feed you. That's attachment. That's parenting for you to just say, okay, I found out genetically you're not my dad. So you're not my dad. What? No. I mean, he raised you. (laughs) You can't undo all that. And we place so much emphasis on genes that, you know, maybe he was feeling upset about that, knowing that you might be upset that he hadn't, they hadn't been honest with you and that maybe you would feel betrayed and, and then therefore say, you know, right. That I'm hurt so much by the betrayal that, then I'm going to react this way. And maybe, and some people possibly do at first, you know, maybe even rightfully so at first to like, you know, I'm so upset. I can't talk to you right now and that's okay. Um, But if there's a good relationship there to begin with and that can continue to function in a healthy pattern, there's no, you know, breaks from in behavior or, you know, functioning in, in the family, then you can repair that damage even, you know, that doesn't always happen. There's some breaks and dysfunction and harm that's done in the families that can't be repaired, but every family is different. And so you kind of have to look at it case by case, you know, within your sibling group, you have like over 80, right? Yeah. So you probably have all yeah. kinds of stories within your group alone. We do. I thought it was interesting to hear Allie's story because I, I hadn't talked to her very much. Um, so I thought it was interesting to hear how she had been close to some siblings before, but now she has a big group and doesn't know who to, how to be close to everyone. And that's kind of how mm-hmm. I felt. I got added to this giant sibling group and it was like, where do I start? There's like, I think there were like 35 at that point in the group, but it was like, who do I reach out to? I mean, how do you pick one? (laughs) Yeah. How do you have this group chat? Um, Sometimes we'll have these things where 
Um, someone will be like, do you also do this weird thing? Or do you like pickles? There's been like really <laughs> random things uh-huh. that come through and then everyone like chimes in. Um, <laughs> so, and then usually when a new sibling is added, they just like briefly give a paragraph about their story. So I know there's um, another sibling who did reach out to me once that um, her mom didn't tell her until after her dad died. They had like a similar large age difference. Yeah. Um, so there's other stories that are like similar to mine. And then, yeah, the like two moms, one mom is crazy. I never thought I would be in this world. No, <laughs> oh, I bet. Do you believe that there should be restrictions on the amount of, of you know, donations that, that guys and, and even women should be allowed to do? Um, I do think that they should keep track of how many successful mm-hmm. children are born just because I, when I first found out, my first thought was like, what if I had dated a sibling? Cause there's others yeah. that were in my area. Um, wow. and with like 80 something and counting, you know, there's still a chance that I had like run into a sibling and didn't realize it in my life. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I think that they should keep track and maybe limit the number of children that come from a donor. Mm-hmm. Um, like listening to all the podcasts, um, I don't have any like negative feelings towards that being financially compensated. I don't know if that's just because I'm in grad school, so I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I get why they would do that, but I, I do have a problem with them not keeping track of how many successful yeah. children there are. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and your donor, I understand, moved to Norway now. Have you met him? Did you get a chance to meet him? No, I have not met him um, okay. because Allie was lucky in that he came to where she has lived. And, uh-huh. um, but yeah, I, I don't even live on like mainland United States. So yeah. I don't have very many opportunities to even meet siblings because okay. mm-hmm. they're all, all over there, except there is one here that I did meet. Yeah. Maybe you can do a, a sibling Zoom call now that everybody's um, you know housebound and yeah carve some time to start one of those up and you can even break it out by um, how you were raised so right. you know those that were raised by two moms or that always knew and right. those that just found out later in life I mean those are different life circumstances kind of create similarities in you know mm-hmm. ways things that you can share so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. A good idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be doing some Zoom calls for different groups, um, hoping to launch. I've just got to, it's on my list. And then I'm going to do like one for male infertility and one for parents that never, that kept it a secret. So parents over 50 that kept it a secret from their children. And um, so they can kind of talk about their experiences and why and what happened and their feelings. And then one for parents that have had a child using a donor and those that are thinking about it. And then one for donor conceived adults like you and parents with young children. So like what you can learn from what they can learn from you. So different zoom groups kind of break out and then record them and then publish them as a podcast. So yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Technology is so cool. Is it? People together that way. I know (laughs) it really is cool. And it's so good to hear the perspective, like, for example, you know, a donor conceived adult that had a parent that maybe didn't respond the way they would have liked, you know, that had a parent respond in a way that continued to feel hurtful and painful. And that, you know, maybe they felt like they can never talk about this anymore. I've had guests like that on my show, but then to hear from a parent 
that kept the secret, but then responded in a different way. And that said, you know, maybe says and does the things that they hoped their parent could have done, but didn't, they can find some healing in that, that there is another parent out there that, you know, was able to respond in a way. And, you know, just meeting, having those two talk to each other or meet with each other can just be so, you know, I think therapeutic and helpful, or even just hearing it, that it exists. So, you know, you're not alone. Your feelings are not alone. Your feelings are validated you know, and by others out there. Yeah, that's for me what helps with uh, listening to podcasts has helped me realize that I'm not alone. I mean, I, I think I handled it pretty well when I found out, but um, you like slowly you start seeing more and more articles and I was realizing how like common this was and also since I have so many siblings. <laughs> yeah. But um, listening to podcasts and hearing how other people dealt with it and just other reasons why people would use the donor and why they would keep it a secret has um, helped me better understand what my parents went through and also kind of sort through my feelings mm-hmm. when I found out. Yeah, that's good. And you say you handled it pretty well. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, I think that I reacted similarly to also Ali that has the Happy podcast and then I wanted to talk about it a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I talked to like all of my friends here about it. But mm-hmm. because I was here, I felt like it was my story, but I didn't really tell my friends back home yet mm-hmm. um because they knew my parents and I felt like it was their story there okay but being here away from my parents I could like talk openly about it mm-hmm. um so I think it like consumed my thoughts for a while and I was like emotional for a few days but it wasn't like anger which I've heard um other people have an angry reaction mm-hmm. um uh, so it wasn't mad at them or my situation. I wasn't sad. I don't know why I was so emotional. I think it just kind of changed how I saw myself. It was just such new information for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't change my feelings about my parents mm-hmm. um, in any bad way. It was just emotional. But hearing other people that like really struggle for a long time um, with like grief or anger, um, I... I didn't experience that. I was able to kind of talk it out with other people, I think, and keep my relationship with my parents, even if we weren't talking about donor conception at first. Oh, I think that's such a good point. I think a lot of times we think that we have to be able to talk it out with our parents to find some peace with it. And you don't necessarily have to. You know, you can find peace in your story just by working through it yourself and finding a way to accept, you know, if you're one of those situations where your parents aren't able to talk about it openly, you know, there, maybe they're just not, that's just not how the family dynamic works. And it's just hard to talk about difficult emotions. Then you can still talk about it as an individual and you can work it through, work through it with friends and a therapist or whoever. And find peace with it and acceptance with it, even if you can't talk about it with your parents. And that's still okay. And you can still operate the way you've always operated in your family. And maybe it's an off limits topic, but that can be okay. It really can. You can find acceptance and peace in it. So um, yeah, that's how it works for me. It was not something we talked about very often in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but slowly it became something my mom could talk about more. And then I think, you know, seeing her in person helped. I had this um, extra factor where I, I couldn't see them in person because I live so far away. 
Um, and I just think some of these conversations um, are better in, in person. Absolutely. Uh, so when she came out to visit me probably like six months after I found out, I was able to talk more with her in person about it. Um, so true. Which helped. It's so true. Um, yeah, that was what was part of my unique situation was it was hard to kind of talk it out with them just over the phone. It just doesn't feel personal enough when it's mm-hmm. something so big. <laughs> yeah. You almost need that time face-to-face, person-to-person where you kind of settle in with each other for a while and then, you know, settle into a routine and then you can start just getting comfortable on the couch and just open up and have that conversation then. Yeah. And again, like that's wonderful that you were able to eventually able to begin to open up and have conversations. Some families may not be able to still. Mm -hmm. Some families, it just may never really be discussed. And, and again, you can find that can work too. Yeah. There are so many different ways to make it work. And it's like, you know, you love your, you love your parents for who they are. You know, they do the best they can. Mm -hmm. And not everybody's going to have the resources, the tools, and the the societal influences that we had that are so different than our parents. Like make us more equipped maybe to talk about things and talk about emotions and, you know, talk about how we feel and all that. They just didn't have that from their parents, a lot of that generation. So yeah, I would say especially my dad being a yeah. veteran, they Vietnam veteran, they were yeah. not encouraged to talk about their feelings. Exactly. <laughs> or acknowledge that they weren't feeling good. Exactly. So, so trying to relearn that after so long of functioning in a certain way, it means there's only so much we can expect. You know, we have to have that compassion and understanding of who they are and what they've been through in their life too. So it takes some some work sometimes, you know, it's not to disregard our own needs and pain and there's a way to do both. It sounds like you have. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think two years in things are pretty good now. We're in that with my parents and my whole situation. Yeah. Would you have any pieces of advice or one thing that you would say to, to those that are maybe listening and are still struggling with, you know, finding maybe acceptance of it and maybe angry, still angry with, which is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with being angry. So I want to be very clear about that because I know that yeah. a lot of times donor conceived individuals feel like they don't have a right to be angry and they absolutely do. So right. I never ever yeah. want to dismiss that, but just for them to help find some, maybe some healing, you know, mm-hmm. at, in their situation, do you have any, are there any, um, I know it's I, tricky. I guess for me, <laughs> I just, I guess I just felt really lucky. That's what helped me um, kind of accept uh, the situation. I just felt really lucky that my parents were able to have me and it just made me really appreciate um, the technology that is there to let parents who really want to have kids but um, have to go alternate routes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess just for me remembering how fortunate I am really helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I guess just talk about it. I don't think keeping it in and helps. Um, mm-hmm. so talk to your friends if you can't talk to your family, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk it out. Um, it's a crazy thing to find out. Um, it and is. also like for parents, I mean, the, the general advice of, um, your whole podcast and book is just to be open with their kids. And I just think, mm-hmm being open is always the best way to approach these things. So Mm -hmm. if you're struggling, be open with your parents about why you're struggling. And if you're a parent, just be open with your kids, because I think the longer you put it off, 
um, there's more negative mm-hmm. you know, feelings that come out of it, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's not big advice, but um, yeah, that's yeah, great advice. It helped me. <laughs> that's great yeah. advice. And I think you're right. It's easier on parents if they start talking about it right away with their kids, yeah. when even when they're babies, just so they can get practice at, at talking about it, saying it out loud. So it just becomes a natural part of their story of who they are. And, and I would say also to add to your awesome advice that I know there's a lot of people I've talked to that maybe their parents haven't responded well and they just aren't able to work it out, that they've started their own just advocacy. And that can be really therapeutic too. Mm-hmm. You know, when you cannot find that reconciliation that you're looking for within the family or the level of honesty or healing that you really need, then you can find that outside of the family through advocacy Mm -hmm. and connecting with other people that have been through the same situation you've been through. And there's some great people out there doing work like that too. So yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, it was so, so glad. I'm so glad you reached out and um, I hope that, you know, if there's anybody else in your group that wants to come on and talk, I would love to hear from them too. So it's, yeah, I hope they do. Yeah. It gives I, us such I a good, I reached out because I heard Allie's. Yeah. So hopefully oh, good. Get all of our siblings. <laughs> Did she share it in your, your text group or on a Facebook page or? Yeah. She shared it on our, our Facebook page. Oh, um, cool. Her good. episode. Um, so nice. I, I didn't know that she had interviewed. I had known about your podcast. I didn't know yeah. that she was going to be on it. So, um, so yeah, so I started listening to her episode and was like you know I didn't think my story was that uh unique there's just so many people now that are finding out from DNA tests so I figured mm-hmm. if you want another person like me I'd absolutely see. but um absolutely yeah. I think what's so important is for people to hear your story about how you know your dad responded and how you responded to your dad you know I can relate to your story um my dad is older and he's um he reminded me a lot of what you were saying of my own dad and just that we wouldn't have a lot of sit down conversations about something like this, but we might have a few and, you know, we could briefly talk about it and it's okay. And then that we move on and that's enough. Like that's all we do. And Allie, um, Allie, half of me is her dad's kind of the same way. He's like, you know, not really emotional. doesn't talk about emotions a whole lot and that's okay. You know? So I just, I think there's a lot of people that can identify with that. Mm -hmm. And that, that makes your story very valuable. For sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I enjoy hearing um, how other people who found out from DNA tests handle it, but then also hearing um, this other family dynamic. So interesting, all the uh, different types of families that have to mm-hmm. use um, donor conception. And, um, it is. It's just so cool that the technology is there, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, so cool that all these people really wanted kids and are able to make it happen. It's a great way to look at it. You know, you want kids and you want to love, (laughs) you want to love a child and, and there's so much love there too. So that's great. Thank you for being on the show and yeah. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow for more content, you can go to my Instagram and Facebook account at Jana Repnow LPC or follow Three Makes Baby on Instagram. You can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to Three Makes Baby on Amazon. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.